just, just for the record, that kid had it coming. Um, he'd been jawing all game. Man, it, it really is such an honor to be here with you today. Um, uh, I have such a love for this church and the people here. Um, you know, with my role, I, I, I get to speak at a lot of different places, and sometimes I go in pretty blind, and um, it's really great when you can walk into a church and feel like you're at home. And that's this church for me. Um, because like, like Justin said, I mean, he's a dear brother, and I've been, we've been doing ministry with Eagle Church for, I mean, since about 2010 is when um, I started at All Shores and started the camp game uh, with, with them. And then um, we just had a lot of fun doing ministry. And I think what made it so unique with Eagle and All Shores during that season is there was such a, uh, just such a sense of unity and striving after the same things. You know, there's just one heartbeat. So even though the churches are five hours apart or whatever it is, there's just such a heartbeat together. Um, but for those of you who, who love a little history, I brought a couple pictures just from the, the history of, uh, of good old Ignite. Oh, there it is. So that was the first year, good old Ian Swires in the mix, my wife Becca, Keith squatting down. I'm not really sure why. Keith decided to squat down in that picture, but he did. So there you go. Um, so that was the first. That was the first year that we that um, not the first year the Eagle and All Shores had done camp, but my first year in the mix. And then this is a picture from the last year uh, with Rob and Ian and Tony. And then that is my youngest daughter Isla. I'm not sure why we dressed her like that, but it was kind of cute, I guess. I don't know. She kind of she kind of digs it, but uh, man, it's just been so fun getting to hang out with you guys. And um, man, I just really believe that God has something for us this morning. Um, and I think that there's something unique that happens when we come with an expectant spirit, right? Like it's one thing when we kind of come to church and we're kind of expected to go through the motions or that we're not really excited to be here. And maybe somebody drug you here today and you're just here making mom happy or whatever. That's cool. Um, God can still speak to you as well. And, um, or maybe you're really excited today, but the times in my life that I have come expecting God to speak to me, he's so gracious and kind and speaks to me. And so um, what I would love to do is I would love to pray for us. And um, uh, if you would, just go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. And um, just as a physical sign that you're, you're ready to receive something from God, maybe just hold your hands out in front of you. Just as a physical way to say, God, whatever you have for me today, that's what I want. God, whatever, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Whatever you have, Holy Spirit, that's what I want today. And so, Father, we love you. And God, we give you all the praise and all the glory, and we ask you to speak today. We don't want just another Sunday. We don't wanna just go through the motions again. We really believe that you have a fresh word for us today, and we want that. And so, Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you this morning. It's your name, amen. So today we're gonna be in um, Second Chronicles, and, and, and this story is about Solomon, and Solomon building the temple, and Solomon was this guy who was, it was David's son, so David and Goliath, you know what I mean, David the slingshot dude, um, he was the king for a while, and he ended up dying, and his son Solomon ended up becoming king. And Solomon is a really unique character in the scripture because Solomon does something, um, he finds favor in God's eyes like no one ever had at that point. So much so that God comes to Solomon and says, Solomon, you can ask me for whatever you want. 
You can ask me for anything. Solomon, you can ask me for whatever you want. Can you, I mean, think about if God came to you and asked and gave you that kind of favor and said you could ask him for whatever you would want. If I'm really honest, I don't know that the first things that come to my mind would be the right things. But Solomon does something so unique. He doesn't ask God for wealth. He doesn't ask him for riches. He asks God for wisdom. He asks God for wisdom. And God honors him in in that. And I just wanna read this verse to you because I think it's so interesting. It said, God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you've not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people from whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. God, see, clearly Solomon already had some wisdom. If he's smart enough to, already, to, ask, like, to ask God for wisdom, he's already pretty wise, but God supernaturally gives him an incredible uh, exponential amount of wisdom in this moment. And we see this begin to play out in the rest of this chapter because Solomon begins to, to, to pursue God like, I don't wanna say like no king ever had, but it seems to be, that it's, it's, it's very different. Solomon gets this idea that he's going to build a resting place for God's presence. He's gonna build a temple unlike any temple that had ever been built. And his, and his phrase that he uses is, we're going to build a great temple because our God is great. And so that's where we're gonna pick up our story in 2 Chronicles chapter seven. So if you got your Bibles or your phone or whatever, open up to 2 Chronicles chapter seven. We're gonna look at a few verses here because I think, I think what, what, how God responds to this temple is such a unique thing. So 2 Chronicles, Chronicles chapter seven, it says this. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all that he had had in mind for the temple of the Lord and his own palace, the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I have heard your prayers and have chosen this place for myself as the temple of sacrifice. And then he says this in verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to their prayer, prayers offered in this place. And I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Solomon's got the temple set up. God comes to him in the night and begins to speak to him and reminds him of what Solomon had just prayed because it's, it's kind of an interesting thing here um, in verse number 13, when, when God is, it, it can, it, if you just read it in its own context, it reads a little bit harsh when he says, you know, when God's responding, he says, when I shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. He's actually, if you just read that out of context, you're like, man, God's really harsh in this time. The, the actual context of that is that he's actually repeating to Solomon what Solomon had already prayed. Solomon was a realist. He understood that life wasn't always going to be easy. He had enough wisdom and foresight to know that hard times were gonna come. And so God is, again, responding to Solomon's prayer, and he gives him these instructions. 
And he gives them these instructions in verse 14. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God's response, I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. This is probably one of the most scriptures that is taken out of context so many times, especially around the month of November. Because we, because we're, we're you know, okay. Whenever it comes to our political systems, we're really good about picking these verses and claiming those verses for our political views. And I'm not gonna get into a lot of politics. I'm talking philosophically, okay? So philosophically. We would take a verse like this, apply it to our certain political party, claiming it as God's promise, which is exactly about taking the, I mean, that's taking that scripture completely out of the context that it was originally written. Because it was originally written for the Jews was King Solomon. Not for America, but for God's chosen people was Solomon, the wise. But I think we can learn something from these principles. So although this isn't, I think, a scripture that we can blanket apply to every situation in our Americanized Christianity, I think that there's some principles laid out in this that if we can begin to kind of get our minds around a little bit, we can begin to see God respond to the things that we're asking him to do. But remember, Solomon understood the reality that life is hard and that hard times are gonna come. And the first thing that we see in this in the, is this that in what God asks us to do in his response is to pray. He says to pray. And if we pray, he says, I'll hear you from heaven. Okay, the more, the more you, you and I hang out and the, you, you eagle folks who we've hung out before, you know that I'm a, I'm a straight shooter. I don't, you know, you're gonna get honesty with me. You're gonna get transparency with me. And so here's, here's the thing with this. God calls on us to pray, but if, if I'm really transparent with you, I don't know that my first response whenever I come up against something is to actually pray. Do I actually believe that God cares about my day-to-day, my day-to-day activity, that when something comes up weird, that I actually stop for a second and my first instinct is to call on his name and pray? Because what's so interesting to me is if we look in Philippians chapter four, he gives us this this passage that says, do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition and supplication, uh, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. He set this system up in a way that if we pray and seek his face and our first response isn't to be anxious, he's going to give us peace that passes all understanding. And I don't know about you, but I need that kind of peace in my life because I have lots of things that are beyond understanding. And he says that if we pray, he'll hear us from heaven and to not be anxious. But if I'm really honest, my first response usually when facing something is anxiety because it's outside of my control. Because I can't puppet master the situation. I can't take the pieces of the puzzle and put them exactly how Zach would want the puzzle pieces to go together. But that, as people of God, our call is to live differently than in anxiety and fear and dread. He says to be anxious about nothing. 
but in prayer and thanksgiving to present our requests to God. And what will happen? The peace of God. The peace of God. I'm gonna start preaching here in a minute. The peace of God. Not a worldly peace, not a peace that makes sense, but the peace of God that transcends, that goes beyond our understanding. Will do what? It will guard our hearts and our minds. It will guard what we feel and what we think. What are you facing today where you go, man, I need God to change the way I feel and the way that I think? What are you facing today that you just need to get on your face before God and say, God, I need you to change my heart. I need you to change your mind because I need peace. I need peace that goes beyond the circumstances because you got a bad doctor's report this week or, you, got, or you, you lost your job, or your marriage is a mess, or your kids are your mess, or you're trying to figure out what to do with the rest of your life because you're 17 and everybody tells you that, that you're supposed to have your life figured out by the time you're 18, so you gotta get, you gotta get your college figured out. Do you, see, do you hear my sarcasm in that one? Okay. Um, man, what would it look like for you to really live out this peace? that the next time that something came up before you, well, how, how do you think your life would change if your first instinct, the next time you had come up, something was just to pray? What could God do with your heart and your mind? But he doesn't stop there in this passage. It says that if, if, you, um, if you will seek my face, if you seek my face, I will hear from heaven. Why would, why would his response be that, to seek his face? Because I think there's something transformative that happens when we get so hungry for Jesus that nothing else matters. Because the amazing thing about following Jesus is the more that we pursue him, the more we become like him. And the more we wanna be like him. And the more we wanna be like him, we want to sin less and less because he begins to, to put holiness into our life. He begins to give, a, his spirit comes and lives inside of us and we begin to live out the fruits of his spirit. And he's such a good God because he says in Matthew, it says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. How different would that passage read if it said those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will maybe feel good sometimes? <laughs> or those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will get a half, a half anointing or a half filling. But his promise to us is as we seek his face, we become more like him and those who hunger, there's the table, oh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled If our first instinct is to follow him in prayer and our second instinct is to seek him with all of our heart, all of our soul, with all of our mind, the great commandment, right? Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I wonder how many of us today would actually say that, man, I'm actually really hungry for Jesus and his presence. I mean, not just church on Sunday morning, not just throwing our tithe in the plate, 
not just going through the motions so that we feel good, but a deep, genuine hunger and thirst for Jesus. How would our world change if there became a body of believers that were so hungry for Jesus that that's what they became known by? We pray, we seek his face, and it says, turn from their evil ways and I will heal their land. You know, it, sin is a really interesting thing. Because when we're in a place of sin, the enemy's really good of, of, of heaping more guilt and shame on us, isn't he? Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. At least in my life, when I, when I, ha, when I experience sin, not only do I feel the the brokenness that I am, but the enemy is really good at throwing more guilt and more shame. And when that happens, my, I, the, the, I don't really feel like I'm living out my identity in Christ. I feel like I'm living out my identity as something else. So when I look in the mirror, I don't like what I see. Is, is that anybody else or is that just me? So there's something incredibly spiritual that happens. And, and, and it, conversion is actually that 180, right? It literally is that turn. That we turn from our sin. And I really think that there's, there, there, there's something unique that happens when we not only want to pursue Jesus um, because we want salvation, but we pursue Jesus because we want holiness. That we pursue him because we know that he wants to change everything about us. That he wants to change the way we see things. He wants to change our hungers and replace it for hunger for him. And when we turn from those things, these, the old dies and the new has come. And healing begins to take place. And I think sometimes we don't experience the full healing of God is because we've never fully turned. We wonder why we have issues in our marriages and our, our friendships or, 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 or even maybe even with an employer or something and it's because there's been sin that we've actually never turned from. But man, when we're able to turn, living out the fullness of the spirit, he's able to bring healing like we've never experienced before. Because he just doesn't, when we turn, he doesn't just take us and heal us part way. He brings full restoration to our relationship with him. That the old has gone and the new has come. But there's something else in this passage that I think is the crux for the whole thing. The, 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 the centerpiece, the cornerstone, if you will. There's one word in this entire passage that I think that, if, that this has to be the underpinning of all of these things. If this piece isn't there, I think we miss the boat completely. 
So look at this passage with me again. Second Chronicles chapter seven, it says this. If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves. Okay, this is interactive. Let's go. If my people who call my name will what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. This has been one of the most difficult journeys for me, if I'm really transparent, is living out of a place of full, full and authentic humility. I think it's really easy to live in humility when it's all words. I think it, what I'm finding in my life is it's one thing for me to say things, it's another thing for me to feel it in my heart. And when I look back on, man, what Zach looked like 10 years ago, it's honestly really embarrassing. But thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. Because he has lived out and shown us what it looks like to live in humility. Philippians chapter two says, therefore, if any of you has any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if, uh, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, this is Paul talking, he says, make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. He gives us this picture of what it looks like for us to live in true unity together, full unity together, all pushing in the same direction. A community of believers, like-minded, in one love, pushing in the same direction. And he says this, this is, this is the whole foundation. He says this, Philippians 2, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself. And I'm convicted. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Man, see, see I think that, I think that, um, I think that we, at least in my life, I've, I've developed this, this this false understanding of what humility is because so often when we think of, at least for me, when I've thought of hum, humble people, I think, of, I think less of myself. Like I think that I'm, I, I, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not, but, but that's not real humility. See, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's masterpiece. No way would he ever want you to diminish the identity that he's put in your life. He just asked us to live out humidity, humidity, really? Humility by thinking of ourselves less. This is something, man, the Lord has been convicting me on like crazy lately. is because so often I see the lens through my eyes. I see the world completely through my own little world, through Zach's little life. And when that happens, I definitely am not looking, uh, I'm absolutely doing, yeah, I'm living in selfish ambition, I'm living in vain conceit, I'm seeing the world completely through my own scope. 
But that's not the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus is to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but humility, consider others better than yourselves. How would your day change if you simply begin to live that verse out? Again, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. How would that change the way you pray? How would that change the way that you seek God's face? How would that change the way you turn from evil ways? Just by looking to others first. Because if we look at Jesus' life, that's what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he was looking to the needs of other people. He was laying his life down for other people. You see, I think it's, it reminds me of this, 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 this stand table thing, whatever you wanna call this thing, table with four legs. Like picture for me just for a second, like if one leg is humility and one leg is prayer and one leg is seeking his face and one leg is turning from sin, if one of those things isn't there, the table can't stand. If, those, if, 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 if I'm not seeking his face, this leg goes away. If I'm not living in humility, this leg goes away. If I'm not, if I'm not turning from sin, it's, it, the things are, it's, it's gonna fall over. But there's this unique call as Christians, as Christ followers, of those who would say that we know Jesus, that we get to live out humility in a world that is so conceited and so full of itself. You do you, you do the best thing for you. You wanna know what radical Christianity would look like? It would be literally just living out what Jesus says. We say we, we don't wanna look like the world. The easiest way for us to do that would be to look at ourselves less. How would Zionsville change if Eagle Church got so fired up, got so intentional, got so focused on looking at itself less? What mighty moves of God could he unleash through this body if a group of people understood what truly living that out would look like? That it wasn't about this room, that it wasn't about the name on the building, that it wasn't about you, it wasn't about me, but it was about showing people Jesus by living out humility. Doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considering others better than ourselves. Band, if you guys wanna come on up. You know, I don't know um, where you're at this morning. You know, I don't know if you would say, man, like, this humility piece is a huge deal for me, or if you'd say, man, like, when it comes to the junk in my life, my first instinct really isn't to pray. If you'd say, man, I'm really not hungry for Jesus. I'm I really not interested in seeking his face. It's just not where I'm at. Or maybe you'd say, man, I just got some junk in my life. I 
Maybe you'd say, man, it might even be a couple of them for me. But here's what's so great about following Jesus. Is that no matter where we're at, he continually meets us there. Like David, Solomon's dad is a perfect example of this. This guy committed adultery, had a kid out of wedlock, had the guy killed. But yet David is, is, is known in the scripture as a, God, as a man after God's own heart. And so if, you'd say, if, you, if for you today, if you'd say, man, I just don't know, I, 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 I just don't think God, I, I just, it's not my thing, I don't know where I'm at. Da, da, da. Like if you would, if, if that guilt and shame, you're sensing that, man, that's just not of God. Because he's a God who's, who's, who, who, who looks beyond himself and is looking to you. He's a God who's shown us what love looks like. And so I, I just wanna pray for you where you're at today. I just wanna pray for this church, this church that I love with all my heart. Because I just think that God has some incredible things in store for this church. But I think it's gonna take for, for all of us to, to really look and go, examine and go, okay, where am I really, really at? Am I really living humbly? Am I really seeking his face? Am I really, am I really praying? Am I, do I need to turn? Where am I at with that? So here's what I'm asking you. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just wanna give you a second, just a second for you and God to have a conversation. You know, we started this message with saying, God, whatever you have for me, that's what I want. And that's how I want, that's how I want to end this thing as well. For you just to say to God, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you want to show me, whatever junk is in my life, whichever way you want to encourage me. Maybe you, you hear these things, you're going, man, I'm, I'm really striving to live this out right now. That's awesome. Following Jesus doesn't always have to be about conviction and being miserable. It can be about living the joy everlasting because he came to give us life and life to the full. Father, I thank you for these people. We thank you for your word, Lord, and I just pray, God, I just pray a supernatural blessing over them. God, that they would experience the fullness of your spirit from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, God. God, in the places where we need to to, to make some changes, would you give us clarity in that? God, in the places where we just need to hear you say, well done, you're doing great, good job, keep it up. We pray that you would hear that as well. And Father, we just pray. We pray together that we would be people who live out the humility that you had shown us, the humility that you lived out God, may our first instinct be you. May our first thought be you. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. It's in your name. Amen.